She does that so much better than I do. And everyone who agrees, say, yes, amen. If I haven't met you, uh, my name is Russ. I'm part of the uh, team here, leadership team. I have the privilege of sharing the word this morning. If you're visiting because of the uh, baptism, then you picked a really bad day. No. <laughs> we're glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you uh, feel welcome, but we're going to do that after the, the service. And so uh, we've been doing a series from Acts on the cultures that the Holy Spirit planted into the church at the beginning as the kingdom began to advance. And so we're in the middle of that. So uh, even though we're doing baptism, we're going to continue with that. So if you haven't heard the rest of it, I'm sorry. Uh, you'll be highly motivated to listen to it now. Uh, we start out with understanding that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God more than anything else. His first message was about the kingdom after his resurrection. He spoke to his disciples about the kingdom uh, and that there's these kingdoms in conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is the, uh, the ruler of this world, and so the kingdom of the world is set against the kingdom of God, and they're actually totally different. And that's why Jesus spent so much time talking about the kingdom, about 10 times more than he talked about salvation. Because it's so hard for us to grasp. We need to be transformed in our thinking to understand this kingdom. The kingdom of God is represented by love because it it's, carries its uh, identity from the, the one who is the king. The kingdom of the world is selfish. It carries its identity from its king, which is Satan. He's the ruler of the world. So we have these two totally conflicting kingdoms, and we talked about that. And then we realized that as people began to get added to this kingdom, and the first church began to meet, that the Holy Spirit laid some cultures, some seeds, into that understanding that were to continue to grow and impact as the kingdom grew. See, cultures like yeast in dough or acidophilus in culture. Huh? Oh, oh you made it. <laughs> I thought I learned something. He told me that a couple weeks ago. Okay, whatever the culture is in yogurt. But, but the whole idea is that those cultures permeate from cell to cell, from person to person. So the things that the Holy Spirit put in the church, that as the kingdom advances, and we talked about how the kingdom has been advancing over uh, 2,000 years and has become a huge impact in the world. Uh, and so when we looked at those cultures, we started with the first one, which is, all these are in Acts 2. So when I tell you to open your Bibles in a second, you don't get a prize if you guess we're going back to Acts 2. Uh, but the first one was a commitment to growing. So the first one was growth. Growth in the Word and the Spirit. So it was an obedience-focused discipleship, not an information-focused discipleship. We're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So if we're co committed to growing, no matter how long we've been part of the kingdom, there's still more to learn. So we don't just read the word to get through it. We read it and say, God, what are you saying to me? And we say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So it's totally word and totally spirit. It's not one or the other, but it's both. 
And then the second culture was gifts. It's a commitment to participate, that we all have gifts, that God has actually given us something that together we are the body. Together we fulfill his purpose. And no matter who you are or no matter what your background, he's put something in you. And so it's not based on your education. It's based on what God has put into you. And then today, the third one, we're going to talk about generosity. Verse 44 of Acts 2. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now is this actually a call to communism or social, socialism? I've actually heard people preach that. I want to say I don't think it is. I think it's a call to generosity. Uh, it's something of the heart of God that comes through. But I want to say this. Generosity doesn't just happen because we want it to. It happens because we put in place certain kingdom principles in our life. And so you can't just say, I'm going to be generous. Though there's something in all of us that realizes that that's actually a good thing. Even people are unsaved. There's something that, the Bible says someplace that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And there's something that says, hey, people should do that. Yet this kingdom of darkness has a whole different focus. It's all about selfishness. So, I want to talk to you this morning about a kingdom view of finances. This will be difficult because you've all heard things, and as soon as I start talking about money, everyone, the hair on the back of your neck goes up and you go, no. Uh, please, just kind of trust the Holy Spirit to do something. Uh, a kingdom view of finances, as I said, the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of the world. That was the majority of what Jesus spoke about. And so even if you're visiting and you're not part of this church, if it's kingdom truth, then the Holy Spirit will, will bring you revelation. Yeah. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're dependent on you. We realize that in dealing with things that are so different, the kingdom of God being so different than the world, that we need supernatural revelation. We need you to speak into our hearts. We need you to help us see and understand. Lord, I need you to communicate your heart, not just truths, but your heart. And so we say, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. So Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than anything else. So turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 6, where he speaks a lot about this whole issue of finance. Can I ask you to do something? I, I do this every once in a while, that uh, you've all heard sermons on this. Just pretend you've never heard anything. Okay? Just kind of put it aside, because otherwise what happens is that you hear what I'm saying through a filter, which might not be what I'm saying. In fact, I pretty much guarantee it isn't. Uh, so just put that aside. And Matthew 6, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. 
If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I read this and I went, that's really out of place. He's talking about laying up treasures in heaven. He's talking about not serving God and mammon. And then he throws this thing in the middle about your eye. And uh, it was actually Mary who had done some research who, who helped me see. But uh, in that culture, the bad eye or evil eye was represented someone who was stingy and covetous, coveting. And so the evil eye is associated with darkness, which is the kingdom of darkness. The good eye is generous, generosity, that is associated with light and the kingdom of God. And so right in the middle of this thing on, on uh, finances, Jesus is basically saying stinginess, greed, Covetousness represents the world, the kingdom of darkness, and generosity represents the kingdom of God. You still with me? Then he goes on and says this. I want to talk about uh, seven aspects of kingdom finance. I'm going to try and do that this morning. I'm not going to go very deep in all these. I'm going to mention them, uh, challenge you to Take a look at them later on. Um, we won't have time to deal in depth with all those. Eventually, we're going to do a seminar, I think, on kingdom finance. <laughs> look at Steve. We are going to, aren't we, Steve? Uh, but seven, seven aspects. But let me tell you, all of them are needed. And that's where we often fall down is that we pick little ones out and we say, this is all of it, but we need all of it. And so uh, it's a quick review. First principle on kingdom finance, we see in Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you have an NIV, it's translated money. That's not a good translation. It's actually uh, not money. Money is neutral. Money's not evil. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says that uh, the love of money is the root of evil. And so what does the spirit of mammon do? It's the spirit behind the kingdom view of finance. It wants to get us to love, worship, and trust money rather than love, worship, and trust God. And so there is a spirit that's behind that. And Jesus says you can't serve both. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He doesn't say it's not a good idea. You can't serve both. Yet for the most part, what we have is a mixture of kingdom and world that we try and put together, and it doesn't work. And then when it doesn't work, we blame God. And Jesus starts out saying this, the very first principle of kingdom finance is you have to acknowledge and renounce the spirit of mammon. Spirit of mammon is... Selfish accumulation. It's based on fear, and the idea is, I need to get all I can. It's greed and covetousness. I want more. Someone once asked, I think it was J. Paul Getty, how much was enough? The man who had more money he could spend his lifetime, how much was enough? His response was more. Always a little more. That's the spirit of mammon. 
I always need more. So the very first thing we have to do if we're going to understand kingdom finance is after we, we have to acknowledge and renounce the spirit of mammon, the spirit of the world that is about selfish accumulation. If we don't, everything else we talk about will not make sense because we'll approach it from a selfish perspective. Gets, gets quiet here. My son, who is a preacher, said, uh, when you're hearing the word, people have one of three responses. One is that the person preaching is saying what you already agree with, and then one says, amen, yeah, hallelujah, preach it. The other is that we totally don't agree, and we kind of just ignore it, and the other one is that we kind of get uncomfortable and we're thinking about it and we're working. And that's when it gets real quiet. And so we can either say, okay, God, why am I uncomfortable? Is, there, is this not right? Or is there something you're adjusting in, in me? But we have to give each other the freedom to think about it. You don't have to respond. Let me say it to you at ease. We're not going to take an offering at the end of this. Okay? So you don't have to respond this morning. So the first aspect of kingdom finance is that, is that we can't serve God and man. We have to acknowledge and renounce the spirit of the world. The second is we're going to call sparrow faith. It's basically acknowledging that God's our source. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more valuable? Are, are, are you not of more value than they? What's he saying? God's the source. God's actually the provider. He can choose whatever channel he wants, whatever means he wants to provide for us, but he's still the source. For most of us, he provides through our work. But our problem is if we see our work as our source instead of God, then we begin to, to live in fear of what might happen. What if I share the gospel and it's frowned upon and they fire me and I have no job? See, if God's your source, then there's no place for fear. That's what he says. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. God is for us. He's our source. And no matter what channel he uses, he still remains the source. He's the provider. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. As they're coming into the, uh, the promised land, a whole lot in chapter 8, but in verse 11 he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, as I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. It talks about all this blessing. Your herds multiply. All this, for sake of time, verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. 
God's the source. He's the one who provides. And that's key. Now, that makes absolutely no sense if you're still serving mammon. Because what you see in front of you is what you think is the source. It takes faith. So, can't serve God and mammon. Sparrow faith, God's our source. Whatever channel he uses. I could spend much more time on that because it's, it's, I could tell you all kinds of stories of seeing God's supernatural provision. But sometimes it's just, he makes a way. He opens a door that there isn't there. Third principle is tithes and offerings. Malachi chapter 3, will a man rob God that you have robbed me? Verse 8. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out on you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here's where we start stepping on toes, because you've heard probably a lot of teaching about tithes and offering. But what I want to tell you is this. What God says when we recognize he's the source is that the tithe is not ours, it's his. You can't rob from someone by not giving them something that is yours. You rob from them by not returning to them what is theirs. And so God is saying, hey, this is my." Now, that makes absolutely no sense unless you recognize that God's your source. Tithing is saying, everything I have has come from him. He's the source. So I'm going to acknowledge that he's the source by returning to him what he says is his. And then he says, if you do that, I will actually rebuke the devourer. I'll protect the rest of what you have. See, from a worldly perspective, you say, I've got 100%, and I'm going to remove 10%, and I'm going to have less. That's just plain math, right? 90% is less than 10%, less than 100%. It's 10% less, and so I'm going to have less. But God says, you trust me in this, and I will actually rebuke the devourer, and what you have will be more. That doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, if you haven't renounced the spirit of mammon, you approach tithes and offering from a selfish perspective, and this is how it's often taught in churches. You give, and you'll get more. This is a means to get rich. I'm getting stirred up here. And you're getting very quiet. <laughs> so what happens? Tithe is acknowledging that God's our source. It's returning to him what's his. Tithe protects then. But then it goes on and talks about offerings. Offerings. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's not talking about tithes. Tithing is not giving. It's returning to God what's his. He's talking about sowing more. Tithe says everything I have comes from God. Offering says everything I will have comes from God. I've heard this used in collecting of tithes and offerings and say, God loves a cheerful giver. Give your tithes cheerfully. Let's all celebrate. It's not talking about that at all. If I borrow a book from the library, it belongs to the library, right? I take it home and read it. I can't take it back to the library and say, I'm making a donation of this book. <laughs> Give me a tax receipt because I made a donation. of No, it was the library's to begin with. If the tithe belongs to God, I'm not giving when I return it to him. Oh, we're getting serious. We're stepping on toes here. But see, sowing or offerings acknowledges that all I will have comes from God. Tithe protects, offerings provide. Interesting that God very clearly says this is how much a tithe is. This is how much is his. He never says how much we should give. He doesn't set a, a limitation as much as we have faith for. As much as we trust him. Okay, I'm running out of time. Fourth, uh, fourth point is Stewardship. What's that? See, I was taught that if I bring my tithe, not give it because I'm not giving, but if I bring my tithe, then that 90% I have left is mine to do with whatever I want. Yet the Bible is very clear that everything I have belongs to him and comes from him. And I face a, a responsibility and accountability of what do I do with what he's entrusted to me. It's not mine. Well, it is. I can do with it what I want, but he has certain under, uh, ways for us to understand his principles that says, okay, how do I deal with that? I'm part of his kingdom. It's not the tithe is part of the kingdom and all the rest is I'm part of the world. See, if we've got this mixture, that's what happens. I give it a little bit because I might get more in return, but then I can be as selfish as I want. Let me say this. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless us. But he wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. 2 Corinthians, where we just were in verse nine from, uh, chapter 9 from verse 8. God who is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things. He wants to bless you may have an abundance for every good work. As written, he has dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness that you are enriched or made rich in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving to God. God wants to bless us, but he wants to bless us so that we're a blessing. Okay? There, historically, there was this idea of the monks, uh, St. Francis of Assisi and these guys, Franciscan monks, that, that poor were spiritual. It was more spiritual to be poor. And so what happened is that over a period of time, all these people had nothing, and there was a swinging of the pendulum that came back and said, it's more spiritual to be wealthy. And so it became the prosperity gospel. God wants you wealthy. And we need to break free from both of those because both are wrong. God wants you blessed. But not just so that you can be selfish. So, under stewardship, three points, and then I'll close. God wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. In order to do that, first point is that we need to close the circle of lifestyle. There is a point where God blesses us. There's a point where we have to be able to answer the question, how much is enough? See, the circle is our lifestyle, and for most people, that never closes. So no matter how much they get, the circle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. No matter how much, because they haven't renounced the spirit of mammon and it's all about selfishness, it just gets big. Why, who needs a $25,000 handbag? Why would someone do that? Because they can. Because their circle has not closed and it's all, their focus is that all this is for me. But there's a point where that circle is closed and then God, no matter how much more he gives, we can then give. We become a channel, a conduit, rather than just it's about us. Let me set you free here. Nobody can determine how big that circle is for you except you and God. See, that's the problem. People who have nothing want to come and determine how much your circle should be. Yeah, we all look at the one percenters, the Elon Musk and the Bill Gates and those guys and say, our, our circle should be that big. But there's something of us when we've renounced the spirit of mammon, when we realize God's our source, when we have this bigger picture that, that uh, we're responsible, that we're stewards, there's a point where God says, I want to bless you. But there's a point where you're blessed. Close the circle and start being a channel for others. Nobody can determine what that is for you. I want to set you free. This is not about condemnation. I was at a conference in uh, Malaysia a number of years ago. Guy got up and was basically attacking Americans, uh, not realizing I was sitting there being an American, but he said, <laughs> Americans spend uh, $13 billion a year on ice cream. And his point was that for about 10 billion, 
we could provide safe drinking water for everyone on the planet. How terrible these selfish Americans. I was a bit offended. I went out thinking, I can never eat ice cream again. <laughs> How terrible is that? But I actually looked up at that point, this was a number of years ago, I looked up that Americans gave that year 350 billion to charities, not the government, people. You give 350 billion, you can eat all the ice cream you want. <laughs> See, what happens is that someone else is trying to decide what your circle should look like. But only you can do that with God. Sorry, second point uh, under stewardship is deal with debt. See, that the, the world system is totally about debt. People being in debt. You're encouraged to, to borrow money and be in debt. And, and corporations do that, and they're in debt. And, and governments do that, and they're in debt. How much debt are we in as a government? Who's going to pay that? You are. And your kids. The U.S. just passed a two tr another $2 trillion stimulus package on top of the 2.4 they'd already passed. They're 28, almost $30 trillion in debt. The payment on that debt in the U.S. is somewhere in the seven to $800 billion a year, which is more than every other payment that they have. Greater than their defense budget. Servicing the debt. Debt is a thief. Debt takes from us. Because not realizing what it is, we're giving our money to the bank. Banks love it. Every college senior in American universities receives offers of credit cards from every bank before they graduate. The bank's thinking, you're going to make money. We want you in debt before you start making money because then you'll give money to us. I read something a little while ago. This is going to shock you. But the average, this was written in America, but it, I think it applies to us pretty much the same. The average person will make somewhere between one and five million dollars in their lifetime. Now you think of 40 year working and if you made a hundred grand a year, that would be four million. And so somewhere between one and four, the average person makes. Yet the average person spends 50 to 67% of their income servicing debt. That means of that four million you make over your lifetime, you're going to give half of it to the bank. They make billions in profit. Where does it come from? And so they encourage you, borrow money, use a credit card, afterpay. Those are all things that are designed to get your money to them. I'm getting, getting excited here. Passionate. We have to deal with debt. A friend of mine once said, don't ever borrow money on anything that doesn't appreciate in value. How do you buy a house if you're young? It's appreciating in value. But over the lifetime of that loan, if you pay it off, you will pay over double or almost double what the house costs 
over the lifetime of that loan. And the bank adds all the interest up front. It's called amortizing. So in the first 10 years, you're paying almost none of the principal. So what should you do? Pay extra. Because as soon as you pay extra, you're paying principal. Before 2008 in the US, credit card servicing, credit card bills, had a minimum payment that you were required to pay. It included only interest. So you have a credit card that you have $3,000 on, and you make the minimum payment. They're telling you the minimum payment is 30 bucks a month. You pay 30 bucks a month. You'll pay that for the rest of your life because it's only the interest. And at the end of your life, you'll still owe $3,000 on that credit card. Banks love it. They changed that after the GFC, and now it includes a principal portion. But let me tell you, it's less than 1%. So, you're all looking at me seriously. <laughs> Deal with that. It's a thief. Third point under that stewardship is invest in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts with this. Most of us read it, and we have no clue what that actually means. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's something of investing in the kingdom which makes absolutely no sense unless God's your source. If you haven't renounced the spirit of mammon, that's stupid. Okay. Let me take a deep breath. You can look at me and smile now. I want to tell you a, uh, an illustration, an anecdotal story. Um, there was a, this area where there was this, these foothills, beautiful uh, grass, and behind it was these huge, this huge mountain range covered in snow. And uh, a guy came, lived in a desert area, and he came and he found in the foothills a little creek. And uh, he said, ah, there's water. Built his house there. Had come from where it was dry. Built his house next to this water. And then fearful that they might have a drought, he came from the, the desert. He dammed up the little creek and kept it to, to provide for him. There was another guy a few miles away who came, and he found, also found a little stream. But he had talked to people who lived in the area, and they said that stream had never run dry. So he thought, ah, that's where I'll build my house. So he built his house by this little stream, and because he had confidence it wouldn't run dry, he didn't dam it up. He let some of it, he used what he needed to let some of the rest of it go to other people who might be farther downstream. A third guy came to that area a few miles away and found a, another uh, river. But rather than building his house right away, he followed it back up over the foothills and into the mountains till he saw the, the mountain range and the huge reservoir of snow that had never, from what the people told him, had never actually uh, melted. 
It was permanent, so he had this confidence with this huge source of water that this river's not going to run dry, so he built his house there. He didn't damn it, and he didn't just let it go, but because he had this vision of the source, he began to dig channels to other people who didn't live by the river. God is looking for people who don't just dam up because of fear, but who know him as their source and dig channels to others. Now, if you're God, who are you going to send more resources to? The one who's fearful and holds on or the one who's releasing generosity? That's generosity. Why is generosity important? Why is it a seed, a culture that is put into the church from the very beginning? Because it represents God's heart. Selfishness doesn't. Generosity does. The grace of God that we've received, this makes no sense unless you're part of the kingdom and have come into relationship, have received his grace. When that we understand the, the totality of his love and grace for us, we can extend that grace. Generosity represents God's heart. That's why he made it as a culture in the church. Yet somehow, we've, much of the church has been influenced by the world. We haven't renounced mammon, but there's something in us that we know that generosity is good. But for many of us, we just don't know how to get there. I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a moment. I'm not sharing this this morning because we as a church need more money. We don't. We're actually doing well. Many of you understand this. This isn't about what we get. This is about you getting free. Some of you have been bound in their finance. And you've always seen yourself as the recipient and never the generous one. And God wants to do something different. He wants to set some people free. He wants to turn that around so that every one of us is in a place of generosity, representing his heart. We're not going to take up an offering. I'm not going to challenge you with that or something like that this morning. I just want you to have a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We get so busy. If nothing else, can I say this? If you've never acknowledged and renounced the spirit of mammon, start there. The spirit of this world. And once you do, you'll see it. You'll see it in advertising. You'll see it in, in everything around you. Start there. But let me say more than that. If you've never experienced the generous grace of God in that he gave his son to redeem us, start there. We sang about it, God saving us, God redeeming us. That's where 
kingdom starts. That's the entrance to the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom of God without coming through Jesus. There is no other way. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by him. No one enters the kingdom. You don't enter the kingdom by going to church, by being good. I don't care how much you give. If you haven't come through Jesus, you're not part of the kingdom. If you have him, we'd love to pray with you and introduce you to him. Can I ask you to stand? Take a deep breath. Smile at me. Someone once told me years ago that the average people in the world, what people talk about is politics, sports, money, and sex. And those are four things that the church ignores because they're actually quite uncomfortable. <laughs> We're not going to ignore those. So if you're looking for a church that would just make you comfortable, you came to the wrong place. We are going to have a baptism in a few minutes. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I'll tell you just now because I have to as well. Uh, those who are going to get baptized will get changed. Give us about five minutes or so. We'll be back here. We're just going to turn some of the chairs around and clear a space so we can all join in. And then, then I'll tell you what we're going to do. So if you're going to be baptized and, you're, and you brought clothes to uh, get changed, wonderful. This is something for all of us because uh, for each person that's baptized, we're going to take a few minutes and pray for them and then just see what the Holy Spirit would say, whether it's a scripture or a prophetic word or something. So uh, you can be part of that. So I want to invite you to hang around. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, then uh, here's your opportunity. Uh, you can get baptized. I brought some extra swim trunks and a t-shirt uh, in case you didn't bring clothes. <laughs> uh, my t-shirt will probably fit you. Uh, but seriously, uh, baptism is for every believer. It's turning our back on the world, the kingdom of the world, and following Jesus. And so we'll talk about that. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your incredible generosity that you've blessed us with not only your son, but with your spirit. And that you want to bless us with everything we need and more that we can be channels to help others. Lord, what a thought that every person in a church is living according to kingdom finance principles and releasing not only tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, but millions into helping others and into your kingdom. Oh, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, if you can hang around, do that, and we'll give us about five minutes or so.